the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Well, folks, it's time once again for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Now, once again, uh, I must pay homage to Pete Paquette. He wears many hats at this station. Right now, he's doing our engineering. And Andrew Herdliska produces the show. And Jason Wright arrives as our first guest. He's in Woodstock, Virginia. The book, Rise Today, Trusting God in His Promise, Jason, uh, welcome to Orlando. It's uh, sure nice to catch up with you. How are you? Oh, I'm so well. It's an honor to share some maritime with you. Thank you, sir. Jason, what's this book about, Rise Today? What's all that mean? It means sometimes we might focus on the literal resurrection. You know, we know that the, the time will come. No one knows when, but far down the road when that literal resurrection that we learn of in the scriptures will happen for each and every one of us. It's the great promise of, of Christianity. And that's a long way away. Well, what about today? And I began thinking about this during the pandemic and, and thinking about how many times in my life I have fallen flat on my face. And I, I dare say you've not had a guest who has failed as spectacularly as I have over the course of their lives. Every everything you can imagine, I have been willing to try, and in so many cases, fail. And whether it's been my my own failures or or pain that has been inflicted on me by others exercising their agency, business failures, writing failures, speaking failures. I ran for Congress and lost. That was a failure. I'm quite grateful for. But if you can think of it, I have probably um, I have probably tried it. And failed. And during the pandemic, as I began to think about how many times I'd been knocked down, I wondered where the strength to ever get back up really comes from. And I, I began to study a little bit the resurrection. This, you know, this beautiful story that that lifts millions of Christians around the world, and certainly many probably listening right at this very moment. That that promise that that God gives us that one day we will indeed physically rise again. Well, what if I could begin to think of a of a resurrection today, a a emotional, mental, spiritual resurrection that I don't have to wait for? What what if I pictured and envisioned that that imaginary stone that's placed in front of my 
emotional, spiritual, mental tomb, could be moved today by just leaning on him, by trusting him. And the people around me that want to help, that want to help move that rock away. And as I began to picture that and to think about it, I began to write. Uh, it actually started, believe it or not, as a really simple Facebook post on on Easter morning a few years ago, and and it went viral. And it and it, I just the feedback was wonderful. And I began to to polish it and to think more about this principle in my life. And the end result was chatting with one of my editors at one of my publishers and saying, gosh, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's something that could really inspire um, folks to, you know, trust the promise now. Yes, that other promise is coming. We know that. But what about today? My guest in Woodstock, Virginia, Jason Wright. By the way, where is Woodstock, Virginia? What's going on there these days, Jason? Well, Woodstock is... It's the county seat in Shenandoah County, which, as you mentioned, is uh, it's in the Shenandoah Valley. And we're a town of about 5,500 people. I'm coming to you right now from my, from my office, which is a, a nearly 200-year-old home that sits a block off of Route 11, uh, which is a famous corridor. As, as you might know, I, I think you're a bit of a Civil War buff. Um, uh, soldiers marched up and down this road. Um, and it's just a quiet, simple, rural kind of a community where uh, it could be ripped out of, you know, any Hallmark movie, I suppose. It's just a, it's a very family-friendly kind of a place where we know one another's names, where there are churches on almost every corner. In fact, I'm looking out my office window right now, and just down the road there I can see Church Street, named because there are so many churches that dot it. It's a wonderful God-fearing community. We've been here about 15 years, raised our children here, and, and we love it. I want you to expand on this uh, topic, rising above life's challenges with a message of hope. Is that really what this book is all about? Let me tell you, I, uh, I don't talk about this very often. Um, I admire you a great deal. I admire your your professional career. I admire so much what you're doing now with this audience. Um, I'll just share with you. I had uh, many moons ago when I was a seventh grader. Uh, my father was diagnosed with cancer, and it was a it was sort of a strange school year. Uh, we we were a bit unsure about what would come. Uh, this was down in Charlottesville, Virginia, where I where I grew up, and another wonderful community that's been in the news for unfortunate reasons in recent years, but still has very much the heart of a family-friendly kind of community, and I very much loved growing up there. But this seventh grade year for me uh, was, well, it knocked me down (laughs) uh, time and time again. And during this uncertainty, I decided I just, school was not particularly interesting to me, I was distracted by what was going on at home, and I began to to become, in my mind, just a victim of, of everything. And I stopped taking responsibility for my choices, for my school. Um, I probably became a pretty difficult kid to have at home, the youngest of four kids. I'm sure there were times my mom wished that she could ship me off and maybe get me back in my 20s. Well, I had a teacher who... And this will be hard to believe, but I promise you it's true. I had a, a teacher I, I struggled a little bit with 
And uh, he happened to be the one that would hand out the report cards at the end of the school year. So it's the last day of school. All the seventh graders in his class are gathered, and he's about to hand out the report cards, which some of your listeners might remember used to come in a, in a little small yellow envelope with a red string on it that came down and wrapped around the little nub at the top. And it had our names on the front. He explained that everyone would get one of these report cards and that it would say either passed, failed, retained, or failed, promoted, which meant that we knew that there were some in this class that the majority obviously were going to pass and, and uh, quote, unquote, graduate from seventh grade and begin eighth grade uh, the next school year, the next fall. Some would uh, fail but be promoted anyway. And he explained that that meant that there were a couple that would actually have failed the seventh grade, but administration and teachers would have decided that it was better for them to move on anyway, despite having failed. And then there were uh, some that might be retained, which meant that you were going to repeat the seventh grade. And I sat there and just thought, there's, there's no way that could possibly happen to me. I had always been a good student. I felt like I was you know, despite what was going on at home, I felt like I was still well enough connected that, you know, to school and to my teachers. So I was in pretty good shape. And he handed me that, that report card and plopped it down to my desk. And I looked at the front of it and in red marker, Sharpie, it said failed, retained. And I just, I, I got up and I ran out of the room to my locker and I um, just fought the tears and the emotion and what in the world has happened. My dad's at home dying. I have no idea what my future holds. And I've just been told I failed the seventh. Who fails the seventh grade? Who, who fails the seventh grade? Um, I had, and a friend came out. Uh, his name was Charlie. I don't remember his last name, but really a kid. I didn't even know uh, that well. We weren't really close friends, but, but he had seen me get up and walk out of the room and he came up and he stood next to me and tears are just streaming down my face. And he said, you're going to do this. You're going to be okay. You're going to, you're going to get through this. And I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it would look like, but the seeds were planted that day, my friend, that I would begin to learn really valuable lessons on leaning on heaven's help to get through trials and to not wait, to be an agent in my own life, to be an agent for change in my own life, to, you know, to, to be the one that, that doesn't wait for other people to solve my problems, but that takes responsibility. And so I, uh, I enrolled in summer school, and my dad was in the hospital most of that summer. I'd go to summer school, and then I would often walk from the school to the hospital where my father was spend the afternoons there with him until someone could pick me up and get me home. And, and, uh, my, my father, uh, recovered enough over that summer. He was able to get home and to get back into a little bit of a routine after treatments. I passed summer school hurrah, and was able to begin the eighth grade with my classmates that September and then enjoyed another four wonderful years with my father before the cancer returned and took him, which then sent me into another season of, of feeling locked in a spiritual, emotional, mental tomb. But because of some of these seeds I believe had been planted in my life and the good works of others around me, I felt 
like I could get through it, and I and I did. And again, it wasn't it, it was no great act on my part as much as it was just simply having an awareness that I I could do it if I would lean on heaven and if I would lean on the angels around me, both seen and unseen. And that's very much the the message I hope of Rise today. It's a it's a simple narrative that that takes you through the, the really common emotions and experiences that we all have. When all of God's children feel like there's uh, there's no way out, and hopefully there's some there's some advice at the back of the book, five suggestions, things that I have done in my own life that I hope will bring um, some support to others. But that's that's a little bit of the genesis of where Rise Today came from, and I'll tell you, I, I think um, I have only told that story twice and never to an audience quite like this. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to share something that personal, and I hope if there's someone listening who has failed, literally or figuratively, emotionally, spiritually, I hope that they do feel some sense that they can rise again if they're willing to take some ownership. My guest is Jason Wright. His book, Rise Today, Trusting God and His Promise. Jason, you just mentioned these five tips or five pieces of advice I would love uh, for you to share them with us. Can we start with number one? What What's the first piece of advice? Absolutely. And let me say, you know, this, I am not, it's probably a, a good disclaimer. I'm not an expert on, um, you know, I'm not a theologian. I, I'm not, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm a, I'm a writer and a speaker who loves meeting people, traveling the country and learning as I go. And, and in my travels around the country, I have learned some of these things. In my study of the scriptures, I have learned some of these things. But I hope that if you're listening to this, that you'll you'll hear everything from my heart. It, it comes more from my heart than my head. Um, perhaps you'll hear something that will be a blessing to you that might um, be a tool that you can add to your survival toolbox every day. Uh, but please know that this is certainly not a comprehensive list, and there may be lots of other great ideas out there. In fact, I suspect uh, you've had many guests on uh, who who could supplement <laughs> in significant ways the advice that we have here. But it's really simple. I I start with prayer. Number one is I have pr- learned. Number one is number prayer. one is prayer. Good. And- I just don't think you can't go anywhere without it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is reading God's Word. That could be whatever it looks like for you. Um, we can dive into more detail on that a little bit later if you like. Listening to sacred music, I think, is really important. I, you know that. Um, it just invites a spirit that is undeniable. I think worshiping with others. We come out of a pandemic where we, many of us were worshiping at home. Whether we wanted to or not, we were Zooming church, we were YouTubing church, and I think that there's such a value when we gather face-to-face in worship, no matter our beliefs, uh, and the fifth is service, which we could have a whole hour just dedicated to how we can heal through serving other people. Well, that's a good little synopsis. Prayer, God's Word, sacred music, worship with others, service to others. My guest, folks, is Jason Wright in Woodstock, Virginia. We're talking about his book, Rise Today, Trusting God in His Promise. 
We have another segment with Jason. Stay with us here. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And you are tuned in to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando, Florida, beautiful Orlando, Florida. Uh, Back with Jason right first, these messages. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Jason Wright is our guest. We're talking about his book, Rise Today. Jason, uh, there are many people uh, listening. Uh, they uh, are not alone. You are not alone in, in trials. They, are, they have trials. But yet the core of your message begins with a promise from God and three words that every Christian is familiar with. He is risen. Can you expand on that? Yeah, you know, where would we be without that without that promise? Um, you know, I, I know in Christianity we focus, and rightly so, on the birth of Christ. And as someone who has written uh, 16 books, and half of them are tied in some way to Christmas, either fiction or nonfiction. Um, I, I, I love Christmas. <laughs> I, I love everything about that that time of year, that day that we that we honor the Holy One and and that you know that holy historic moment. But I I think that perhaps we we pay a little too much attention to that holiday and not enough attention to Easter and to that moment when those words are uttered. He has risen. It is the it is that moment. It is him being reunited, uh, body and spirit, resurrected. Even that is why we have such hope. Without that miracle, without that discovery that the tomb is empty, then none of this matters. There is no there is no tomorrow. There is no beyond the grave. It is that promise that means. And again, this is not to, to diminish in any way the miracle that is the birth by Mary, that, that beautiful, uh, that just absolute miracle. Of course it's important, but that's simply one domino that leads to, to this one that we now celebrate and talk about. It is, it is the resurrection that brings us the ultimate hope that this life is not uh, the end. This is not the end of the book. It is the end of a chapter in an eternal story, a story that he writes for us if we, if we let him. And we started by discussing a little bit how easy it is to focus on the physical resurrection and, and the fact that one day we'll be re- we will be resurrected the way he was. That is the promise for all of us. Um, that is a part of this beautiful thing we call the atonement of Jesus Christ. But what if we could pivot our thinking just a little bit right now in this very moment and think not just of the reuniting of the body and the soul, but what about a spiritual, emotional, and mental resurrection that can happen today? We can rise the way that he did in our imperfect way right now by believing all of his promises throughout Scripture. The promise of the resurrection is, of course, among the most important, but the Scriptures are full of promises that He will be with us, that He is the living water, and if we come to Him, that He will aid us, that He will walk by our sides, 
He just waits, I believe, for a deeper relationship with all of us. I'll tell you that this week I had the most interesting experience um, on the side of the road. I often, as I travel around the country, give away gift cards to people who need meals. I call them kindness cards, and people around the country have sent me either cards in the mail or funds to purchase cards, and I have given away thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of of meals to people, Walmart cards and Taco Bell cards and McDonald's, you name it. Yesterday I saw a man, my son and I, about 40 miles away from where we live, uh, obviously homeless, and we stopped, we chatted with him for a minute, and we gave him a couple of cards for a couple of fast food meals, knowing that that would get him a day or two. And then I just, he looks so broken, and he looks so down, and he said, man, what I want even more than food is a is a tent because I'm sleeping outside. Mm. And if and if I could if I could get up tomorrow, if I could rise tomorrow from a tent instead of a bench somewhere or in some thick bushes somewhere on the edge of town, that that would be an even greater miracle. So I went on social media and I and I put a call out, a call to action to people and said, look, this is an unusual and real-time need where, yes, we have fed him and we have fed many people from Virginia to Los Angeles and every place in between. But this is an opportunity to maybe gather some money immediately, all of us, and for me to go get him the highest quality portable manual tent I can find uh, and some supplies perhaps to go with it. And in a matter of minutes, people wanting to serve, mm. wanting to, to feel some hope gave. And within the a matter of about an hour and a half, we had a tent, we had several hundred dollars in food cards, we had several hundred more dollars just in Walmart cards, wow. and we had several hundred dollars to walk him into a Hampton Inn and to check him in for two nights. Mm. And he just, with tears in his eyes in the parking lot, we took a photo together, and he said, do you know what it will mean to rise from a bed tomorrow to shower he was just, he, I, I don't know where he is at this very moment, but I know that he's filled not just with a little bit of food, but with some hope and, and a little bit of this kind of resurrection, this different kind of resurrection we're talking about. And it's not because of me. I was just a vehicle, the hands of, of other people's kindness to gather this goodness and, and give it to him. But that's what we're talking about here is looking for opportunities to help others rise, knowing that the more we help others have that experience, have that new day, it does the very same for us. I always know, I always feel like when I lift someone else, I'm, I'm lifting myself just as much. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you what, uh, Jason. I've got goosebumps. What, what a story that is you just told. Unbelievable. Oh. I, I, I want you well, you're, to, you're I, so kind. I want you to uh, expand on this now in, in closing. Uh, talking about those three words, he is risen. Here's what you write. They are a promise. Because he's risen, we too shall rise again. Every child of God has moments when it feels as if a giant rock has been rolled in front of our path. You may feel emotionally whipped by winds beyond your control. You may be thinking your own saving miracle is too far away to lean on. If you feel alone, in the dark, or powerless, remember that rising again doesn't need to wait until body and soul reunite. He is risen so we can rise today. 
Jason, I, I want you to expand on that, please. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening right now and you're at home or at work or in your car or walking down your quiet neighborhood street and you're feeling a little alone, if you're feeling like you have been forgotten or forsaken or invisible, know that he sees you. In this very moment, he sees you and he knows you. And listen, remember that if you know his name, and we are so imperfect in this mortal journey we're on, we are so imperfect, filled with sin, filled with mistakes. If we know his name, imagine that the perfect one, he knows our name. And I know that that's true, and I have felt that witness over and over throughout my life. Jesus Christ, even the Savior of the world, knows me personally. He knows my very name and the sound of my voice, and I promise you that he feels and knows the very same about you. And if you are feeling like there is a rock in front of that door, if you will lean on him, if you will trust him, if you will invest in him, I like to tell people that you must schedule him first in your day. If you want him to be your partner in your day, if you want him to be there when the tough trial hits you, when you hit an obstacle that you're not sure you can clear sometime between the second you walk out your front door and the second you walk back in, then he better be your companion. He better be at your side. And the only way to do that is to wake up in the morning and to say, you come first. I will, I will invest myself in you, and I will schedule you. I will pray, I will read, I will listen to the right kind of music, the right kind of radio. I will wrap myself in your promises so that when the trials come and when the rocks roll in front and you cannot see the light, he is there to help push it away. Now, he, he can do it all on his own, right? He can, he can do it all on his own, but he wants us to be his partner. We have to give him something. We have to try. We have to do our very, very best to solve our own problems. You know, he could have told that seventh grade teacher, he could have whispered in his heart, Jason's had a really hard year. He's about to lose his father. His family is struggling. Just put him in the eighth grade. Just, <laughs> just move the rock and put him in the eighth grade. But he didn't. Instead, he gave me the power to get involved in the push, to get involved, to use my spiritual muscles and to do the work. I think that's a really important concept to end on here. He could do it all for us. You know that person you pass on the side of the road that's struggling to change their tire? Well, if you really believe that Christ is perfect, he could change that tire. He could do it. He could open the door for the lady at the bank whose arms are full and she can't get out. Jason Wright has been our guest, and what a guest he has been. The book, Rise Today, Trusting God in His Promise. We've got more. <clears throat> Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Uh, Folks, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. 
Uh, always so pleased when you join us here on AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, let me introduce our engineer, Pistol Pete Paquette. He gets us on the air. And uh, Andy Herdliska, Handy Andy, gets us produced, so he lines everything up for us. I want to introduce you to Tom Rayner, founder and CEO of Church Answers, author of I Believe. We're going to talk about his new book, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. Tom, it's so nice to catch up with you. Welcome to Orlando. How are you? Thank you. I am great, Pat. Thank you for letting me be on your show. When you think of Orlando, Florida, by the way, Tom, what comes to your mind? It's not Disney. It really is not, and it's it's not the amusement parks. Uh, it is it is going back to my childhood, recalling Central Florida, and this will show you how old I am, Pat, recalling Central Florida when it was primarily just land and a little bit of swamp. And I just remember how much I liked driving through there at that point. I am not suggesting that I'm anti-amusement park or sports or any of the above. That's just my childhood memory. I was I was born and raised in South Alabama, and so Florida was my frequent stop. Oh, that's great. Uh, why this new book, Tom? Uh, this, this new book came as a result <clears throat> of two things, Pat. Number one, uh, we have been doing surveys, research on church members since 1996, and we – found something that has taken place that was, quite frankly, alarming. The survey included what they believe, and we began to see an erosion of belief, specifically uh, the erosion of belief that Jesus is the only way, John 14, 6, uh, what we call the doctrine of exclusivity. And the more we began to dig into this, the more that we found that biblical, not just biblical literacy, but biblical adherence was beginning to decline among some of the most active church members. Then, as we began to have discussions with pastors, uh, we're fortunate at Church Answers that we, we connect in one way or another with about two out of three Protestant churches in the United States. And so we hear from them on a regular basis, and these pastors were telling us, my people need to understand the big picture of the Bible. We, we study these passages, but they don't understand how it all fits in. And basically what they were telling me was they really want them to have an overall theology, an overall comprehensive understanding of the major doctrines of the faith. But I wrote it in a way that I hope would be accessible to anybody in the church, any Christian, and hopefully any non-Christian as well, so that uh, you wouldn't be encumbered by uh, some of the good, long theological tomes that are out there, but so that you could just sit down, take your Bible, and read it quickly or go through a class and read it quickly. So those two precipitating factors, the, the surveys we were doing and the pastors pleading with us to provide something that ended up being, I believe. Well, Tom, <clears throat> there are 15 chapters about what you believe in. Uh, let's uh, dive in with the first two. I believe in the Bible. I believe in God the Father. And here's number three. I believe in God the Son. Well, the, I believe in the Bible is the foundation of what we believe. Uh, though we can certainly be taught by the Holy Spirit, the truths of Scripture teach us what He is going to convict us of and what He is going to teach us. We cannot begin to know or even affirm, I believe, until we have the Bible and we have the totality of the Bible. And then that goes to God the Father, uh, the God the Father who is love, God the Father who is good. God the Father who is righteous, 
and that is that is, that is of course the beginning that is the beginning of the first person of the trinity and with without god the father again without any of these chapters quite frankly and not the chapters but the doctrines without any of these doctrines the bible is or at least our belief is incomplete now i want you to talk about i believe in god the holy spirit and i believe in the trinity the holy spirit is in my in 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 my walk in my in my relationships is one of the least taught doctrines that i that i come across maybe uh doctrines of the end time but certainly doctrines of the holy spirit we seem we seem not to want to study the third person of the trinity when he is as vital to our study as God the Father and God the Son. God the Holy Spirit illuminates Scripture. God the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. God the Holy Spirit is the source of our salvation through Christ, through God's love. God the Holy Spirit is who is present in us today. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people, but by the New Testament, he began to dwell within people. That is just absolutely remarkable for just to think about it. God not only loved me so much he sent his son to die for me, but he loves me so much that the son sent the spirit to live within me. And Jesus made it clear, it's best that I should go so that I can leave you the spirit. And I don't know if uh, the spirit at salvation or the spirit present with me now is uh, my, my ongoing salvation, if you will, excites me more. Uh, tell me about <clears throat> I believe in prayer. Prayer is again given lip service in many cases. There, there are two ways that I categorize prayer, and this is just my own categorization. I, I, I think of personal prayer, my personal devotion with God, my time with Him, but I also think of prayer corporately. That that is what the local church should be doing. That is how the local church should be functioning. And one of the encouraging things that I'm seeing these days, Pat, among churches is that vibrant prayer has begun to be more of a vital part of the corporate worship service, the worship service, the gathering time. And we always had prayer, but in many churches it felt more perfunctory than it did vibrant. And we are seeing that. And even today, when you when you begin to look at some of the what is taking place at Asbury and other places where uh, God seems to be working in ways that's really, really incredible. Um, again, most of that is precipitated by prayer. We, we at Church Answers have uh, uh, par- partners in Uganda. We provide them, we equip them teaching uh, primarily for their pastors. And I was in conversation with uh, one of my contacts in Kampala, Uganda, and he was talking to me about the thousands of Ugandans who are abandoning witchcraft, burning all of their witchcraft paraphernalia, putting them into a fire and accepting Christ. And he said he's seen nothing like this in his entire lifetime. And he said, Tom, we have been praying for this moment. And through the power of prayer, we're beginning to see it fulfilled. Uh, you know, there's so much, Pat, that we could talk about prayer and so much that we could go into. I mean, G- Jesus left us, but before he left us, he said, this is how you should pray. He presumed 
that we would be men and women of prayer. And I pray that I will, in fact, one of my, one of the things I put on my prayer list every day, help me to have a greater hunger for prayer and the Word of God. Without those two, I am going to be a lifeless Christian. I believe in angels, demons, and Satan. And I also believe that Jesus died for our sins. Well, uh, certainly, we we, we certainly have to get to the angels, the fallen angels, and then the uh, chief of the fallen angels. When I say I believe in demons and Satan, I don't say it in the same way that that I say I believe all of the other doctrines. I say I believe in their existence. I believe that there are fallen angels, and I believe that they're working to do everything they can to block God's way, his will, and the lives of Christians and others. And I, I want to affirm that demons exist simply because if I do not, then they can do a greater work. And so certainly, of course, with the chief of demons, one that is called the evil one, one that's called Satan or, or the devil, uh, I believe in him, not because I have faith in him, but I believe in his existence. And then there are the unfallen angels, what we typically call the angels. God created the angels. We did not, we, we, we do not get angel wings when we go to heaven. They are different than humans. God created humans in his own image. He created angels as a separate being, but they're real they're in heaven worshiping God, and they're present among us, ministering to us, and at times protecting us. Talk about Jesus dying for our sins. I want you to really, really dive into that for us. <clears throat> it is hard to imagine any aspect of the Christian doctrine without the atonement, which is Jesus dying for our sin, and the resurrection. They are so coupled together. And let's go to the atonement, which is another, it's a theological way of saying uh, Jesus died for our sins. Atonement literally means at one. We have been made at one. We have made, we, God, we're no longer separated from God, that he atoned us. In the Old Testament, we have the sacrificial model. Now, everything in the Old Testament points to New Testament and points to Christ. And it's very clear that the sacrificial model of animals was pointing to the New Testament reality where, the, where the, the animal, the lamb, was sacrificed in the Old Testament, and then the perfect lamb was sacrificed, Jesus, in the New Testament. Again, if I begin to fathom this personally, it, 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 it sends shivers down me. I mean, to think that God loved me so much, John three sixteen that God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he did not just, as major as that is, he did not just die a gruesome death for me. He took upon sin. He took upon the, the, the sin of the world, but he took upon my sin personally. And what gives me such comfort as a Christian knowing that I am a failed Christian, that I, have, that I am a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God, what gives me great comfort is that one day I will stand before God and he won't see me in my sin. He will see me through the righteousness of Christ. Some, we call that imputed righteousness, that we have the righteousness of Christ upon us, despite 
all the ways that I have failed, because I have received Christ as my Savior, because I believe he died for my sins, I will stand before Christ, I might stand before God, and he will say, you are holy, you have been totally cleansed of your sin, come into my presence. And you know, we if you cannot get to you cannot get to heaven with any sin upon you because you cannot get into the place in the perfection of God with any type of sin upon you. And so it's not how good we are, it's the fact that we have sinned once and then again and again and again that blocks us from heaven, but Jesus provided the way. That's why he said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot get to the Father, you cannot stand in his holy presence unless your sins have been taken away by confessing, placing your faith in Christ, and receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. I could go further. I don't know how deep you want me to go, but I'll pause for just a moment and see what you want to do at this point. Tom, we've got about a minute and a half. Tom Rayner is our guest. We're talking about his new book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. In this um, minute and a half, Tom, uh, I believe in the resurrection and the ascension. A minute and a half of the resurrection and the ascension. I'll do do my best. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, beautiful chapter about the meaning of the, the resurrection. Christ died for us, but he did not stay in the tomb. He rose again. And Paul makes it very clear, particularly in 1 Corinthians 15, that Without the resurrection, we are hopeless because we will not have eternal life. The resurrection was the defeat of death for those who believe in Christ. And so Christ was in a resurrected body for 40 days on earth. And then right before he left, right before he went back to heaven, he gave his last will and testament, if you will, Acts 1-8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he was taken up. That is the ascension. The angel said, why are you staring into the sky to the followers of Christ? The same Jesus who was taken from you will come back in the same way. That is the ascension. That's a minute and a half, Pat. And I don't know if I've ever talked about those two doctrines as quickly as that ever. (laughs) Thank you for letting me. But, Tom, you nailed it. You hit it right on the head. Uh, This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to AM 990. And FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando, our guest in Franklin, Tennessee, Tom Rayner. We're talking about his book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. And when we come back, Tom's going to talk about, I believe Christ is the only way of salvation. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Folks, I don't know when a Christian book has been written that is more practical and basic and right down to the truths of the faith. It's fascinating. So, Tom, I believe Christ is the only way of salvation. I began this uh, conversation with you, Pat, talking about the why behind the book. And the big why was an increasing reality that some Christians were denying the doctrine of exclusivity, which means that Christ is the only way of salvation. 
Now, we could even debate whether you can be a Christian and deny that doctrine. I think it's pretty difficult because when you accept Christ, you accept him as the way of salvation. John 14, 6 is the most common uh, passage that we use because Jesus is responding precisely to Thomas about, you know, how can we know the way? But one of the things that is happening in culture today is that that narrow way is often perceived to be narrow-minded. And it is a narrow way, but it is not narrow-minded. It is the broad goodness and love of God that gave us that way. God's goodness, God's broadness gave us his son to die for us. And so we need to hear very, very clearly, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Universalism, everybody goes to heaven. Not true. Pluralism, there are many different ways to heaven. Not true. Inclusivism, uh, many ways to heaven, but somehow they get through Christ. Uh, weird and not true. And you, you go down the list of how different nuances have come and then blatant disregard of this doctrine. Because of the doctrine of exclusivity, and I know we'll talk about this before we go, I am compelled more to tell others about Jesus because I know without Jesus there is no other way. So this doctrine, this doctrine of Jesus being the only way, the doctrine of exclusivity, that is the doctrine that more, well, I shouldn't say more than others, but definitely pushes me to, to be more evangelistic. Now, uh, Tom, I believe in the local church. This doctrine, Pat, has not always been vitally present in, in uh, Christian teaching. But think about it. From Acts 2, when the church is formed, to Revelation 3, letters to the seven churches, that entire portion of the New Testament, almost everything beyond the four Gospels, is either written to a church, about a church, or in the context of a church. And each of those churches are local churches. There are churches at Rome, in Corinth, in Philippi, the churches in Galatia, the churches at Thessalonica. We, these are all in the context of a local church. When it's written to James or Timothy or Titus, it's always in the context of the local church. The local church is God's plan for his mission on earth, and he did not give us is his plan A, and he did not give us a plan B. The local church is important. Commitment to the local church, therefore, should be normative for the Christian. But again, for many Christians, it has become an optional activity to gather with other believers. From my, I hope, biblical opinion, that that is a, that is a travesty that is happening, particularly in the Western church today. Now, Tom, <clears throat> I want you to talk about, I believe Christians are to grow spiritually. Salvation comes by grace through faith. We, we know that there are no works to get us to heaven. We understand that we, we have done nothing to merit what God has done for us. That is clear. But it is also very clear in the New Testament that we are to work out our salvation. That doesn't mean works for salvation, but that means that salvation working in us should lead us to be more like Christ. And when you say, what does it mean to make a disciple? Well, a disciple is someone who looks like the master. 
And a disciple of Christ looks more like Christ than all he or she does. And so we are commanded to grow spiritually. And, you know, someone said, where do I start, you know, to do that? I say, please, whatever you do, be in the Word every day, have a time of prayer every day, and be committed to your local church. There is a lot more to growing as a disciple, but those three alone can take us a long way. And that is the command that we have. And I would also say, as you're growing spiritually, that should be a natural for you to share the gospel, which I know is the next chapter in the book. And let's get right to it. I believe I am called to share the gospel. The first time, and I'm talking 40 years ago, the first time I shared my faith, I was a 24-year-old young man Christian who had never, ever told anyone about Jesus. I may have taught it in a Sunday school class. I may have had a discussion about Jesus, but I had never shared my faith. And I, I, I remember in my Bible time just just having moments of conviction that I, I am not growing as a Christian until I am willing to tell others about the greatest news there ever was. There, 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 there's no coincidence that gospel means good news. It is the best news that there ever has been. And if we truly believe Jesus is the only way, if we truly believe he died for our sins, if we truly believe that there's a great commission, Matthew 28, Acts 1, 8, Acts 1, 8, and other passages, then if we are going to be obedient to him, we need to share the gospel. But it's not out of begrudging obedience. It is out of joyful obedience that we get to tell people about him. I have 11 grandkids, and it, I, I can't stop talking about them. Why? Because they are my joy. Well, how much more so should Jesus be our joy and not only be guiding us through his spirit in our hearts, but be on our lips where we're telling others about this good news? Tom, I want you to talk about I believe Christ will return. Just just think of all of the um, uh, debates that are out there on the timing of Christ's return. Uh, there's a thousand-year reign in the book of Revelation. Will he come before or after that millennium, that 1,000 years? Uh, exactly how does the tribulation fit into all of this? And, you know, we've had some good, and over the years, there have been good, healthy discussions about this field of study called eschatology or study of the end times. But it comes down to some simple truths about Jesus returning. First, it is a factual reality. It will happen. It, the, the, the angel told the followers of Christ, the same Jesus who was taken up from you will come back in the same way. Now, what does that mean? He will come back. It means he will be visible. And it does mean, according to the other passages in Scripture, he will establish his reign. I wish I was smart enough to know exactly the timing, and, and uh, even though we can't know the times and dates, but to understand how it would work in the context of the millennium of the tribulation, I do know that Jesus will return, and I do know that we are to be ready for his return. So the absolute on this is I believe that Christ will return. That should give Christians a sense of expectation that he could come at any time, and we should be ready. And then I want you to talk about I believe in heaven. Uh, 
you know, the older I get and the closer I get, the more I think about and even more I long for heaven. Uh, I long for heaven because I have loved ones who are there for sure. But I long for heaven because I know that I have not fully tasted the presence of God until I see him face to face. This is but a foretaste. And it's it's, it's like Paul said, it's, it's but looking in a mirror darkly. And one day we will see him face to face. There are some caricatures of heaven. Okay, I, I don't think some of them are that great, but that's not the point. The point is, it is past the scope of our imagination and our mind to understand how incredible, joyous heaven will be. And who is heaven promised for? Promise for those who come to God stainless, sinless, by the forgiveness of Christ through his death on the cross, which gets us back to the resurrection and to the substitutionary atonement of Christ dying for us. And Pat... You did something I haven't done in an interview, which was so much fun. You you took me through the entire book. Well, Tom, uh, and and we have run out of time. I mean, we hit it right on the money. You were great. Tom Rayner, the book, I believe this is a must-read, folks, a concise guide to the essentials of the Christian faith. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power. We're back next week for the Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a wonderful week ahead. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, thanks so much for joining us, folks. Um, and uh, just again, a reminder that uh, we've had a great hour. Jason Wright was our guest in the first segment. <clears throat> Enjoyed chatting with him. And then Tom Rayner came along, and boy, he's written a classic. I, I can't tell you enough. I believe a concise guide to the essentials of the Christian faith. Speaking of books, uh, my latest book is out. It's called Who Coached the Coaches? And we look at uh, many, many coaches and who was the key person and then becoming a coach. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, Coach's Choice is the publisher of that book out on the West Coast. And uh, so there's plenty of good material to be reading these days, my friends. Well, have a wonderful week ahead. Uh, we'll back, we're back next weekend. Uh, the show, the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And Always stay tuned to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.